Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we've got a really interesting conversation about how the fear of missing out actually impacts revenue. And as B2B marketers, right, we're all very, very revenue-minded these days. So this is going to be a conversation that you're going to want to take out the pen and paper and take some notes on. Because we have on here, our special guest is uh, Amanda Rabideau. And Amanda, you are a B2B marketing expert. You've, you've been a fractional CMO at uh, more than two dozen different organizations. You have your own company, Arch Collective, that you've been doing since 2019. You worked for CoreLogic before that. You speak at industry events. So we're very happy to have you on today. And what I'd love to do is just maybe have you expand a little bit on that background and, and what you're doing, and then we'll jump into the FOMO revenue marketing. How about that? Sure. Well, Steve, first, thank you for having me. It's always fun to, to dive deep into some of these marketing topics. Um, you did a great job providing a background and, you know, I, I did, I started Arch Collective back in, in 2019 after several years at CoreLogic. So while I do work with B2B tech companies across different industries, a lot of my, my clients tend to be in the insure tech or the property or real estate technology spaces. Um, so, you know, I'll have plenty of examples and can offer a lot of perspective on, on those industries but excited to dive into the FOMO of revenue and, and some of my other favorite topics. Well, then let's just start out with, uh, it's kind of a foundation to, before we talk about FOMO and revenue marketing, what is your opinion on just what makes great marketing, right? And you've, you've been in so many different organizations and helped create success so many different times over. I'd love just to start that way. What makes great marketing, B2B marketing? Yep. Um, you know, and... I always like to think that great marketing, there is a little bit in the audience that you're talking to, but in general, something that's relevant, so timely, um, and also, you know, that 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 captures someone's attention, right? We're we're living in a time where we are inundated with what we're getting on social media, what we see, you know, through, or what we hear on podcasts, you know, what we see on TV. So much content is out there. So things that are captivating and that can break through the noise um, and that are relevant to what's going on in the world are are usually the foundations of great marketing. Um, you know, and I, I would zoom out a little bit to also say that you have to keep the audience in mind. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about this with FOMO of revenue, but at the end of the day, I could come up with the most imaginative and creative and lovely idea that's all those things I said. But if it's not going to reach the audience you want to reach, then that's not great marketing. And so this understanding, I think even uh, Gartner was talking about the trend towards how CMOs today need to be more um, chief customer officers. Right? We have, we have to understand who it is that that relevance is all about understanding their needs, understanding their jobs, understanding what's impacting them, the risks that, through the decisions that they're making, all of that. So. What in, in, in the idea of kind of the customer and you have a perspective on representing the voice of the customer that I wanted to, to have you talk about a little bit. Yeah. And I, I'm going to take us back about 20 years to the very first startup okay. I ever worked at. Um, I actually started off in customer success, moved into sales. And while I was in, in um, and then I moved into marketing role after that. 
And what was really interesting, and, and I'm going to speak to my time in sales because it shaped how I think about marketing. You know, when I was out there on, on the front lines and hearing what the customers were saying, I was getting very different information than when I moved into the marketing role and I was just sitting at my desk. And so the val everything I heard from my clients when I was, or potential clients too, when I was on sales calls, fed into what I talked about with the next customer, what I fe fed into what I gave to marketing to, to update the collateral that we had. And so now as a marketer, I find it that all marketers should do this, but it's something I certainly do and I think is a high value activity, but it's to set up and conduct voice of client interviews. And, and so this stems from that very first startup I ever worked at and the ability to listen to what they say and then translate that into the scripting or the collateral or the things that are relevant. And in fact, I was, you know, just speaking with an audience yesterday on this topic. And I said, you know, look, so many times we overcomplicate things. If you conduct really valuable voice of client interviews, it's actually a somewhat like an easy way out of some of the hard work that marketers have to do. Well, what do I mean by that? If you ask the questions and you actually listen to what your, your clients are saying on the other side, they're going to tell you everything that you need to put out there in the market <laughs> to help bring in top of funnel clients, to move them through, to keep clients, you know, to make sure that they're renewing or potentially expanding. And so, you know, one may say it's the, it's a, it's a lazy marketer's dream come true. It does take a lot of work, but like, why, why not work smarter, you know, as opposed to working harder? Conducting these voice of client interviews are really one of the most valuable and one of the most efficient things a marketer can do. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that makes great marketing and marketing that produces fantastic ROI is where actually the voice of the customer actually leads the voice of the company itself, right? Because they're the yeah. highest authority, right? I mean, if we're ever making a, a decision, you know, for the company, whether it's, you know, in product development or it's in marketing or sales, if we always think of the customer as at that table, right, that's the voice of highest authority. And I know that you've, you've talked about that many times over with your clients, right? That's, so those customer interviews that you're talking about mm -hmm. hours you to be making decisions on behalf of those customers. And that trumps everything, right? Because I know you've worked with CEOs before, you know, or, or your clients where it's like, here's what we need to do. And sometimes those are exactly right. And the other times it's like, well, we need to consider this. And more often than not, we're representing the customer in that conversation. So I, yeah. I think that's a fantastic way to kind of think and frame this, right? Uh, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, the, the idea of FOMO in revenue marketing, because I think that's what we're all kind of leading up to in terms of, okay, fear of missing out, understand that. How do you think that plays into marketing in particular revenue marketing? Maybe tell us like at the beginning, what, what you think of the difference between just great marketing and revenue marketing to start out with? Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to use the funnel to, to, to frame the conversation, right? And so, um, you know, and I mentioned that I work with startup companies and so often we talk about the TAM or the total addressable market. And the total addressable market shouldn't necessarily be your target audience, right? And so whenever I'm starting to work with a client, 
you know, one of the first things I ask are, who you are who's your target audience? And no doubt I get the, oh yeah, we know exactly who it is. And then they list out like five to 10 different target audiences. And, and so when I talk about FOMO revenue, it's that niching down and really focusing on one, maybe two audiences if there's a lot of similarities that especially for startup companies, it's so important to channel your efforts into focusing and niching down and not being worried about taking any and all revenue that come your way. So the next question might be like, well, why, Amanda, we're a startup. We need to bring in money. We need to demonstrate to our investors that we have product market fit. And, yeah. and the answer is exactly niching down and not having the phone low of revenue or the fear of missing out on revenue is what is going to allow you to do that. And so the reason I want to take it back to the funnel is that if you have the whole addressable market that you're going after, and I'm going to make it real simple, and, and you say, okay, hey, investors, we need $5 for marketing this year. And the five could be 500,000, 5 million, 5 billion, you know, but we'll just say five for the sake of the conversation. Well, if your target audience is actually five different audiences, that means you've got a dollar for each audience. And those dollars or in, those individual dollars are not going to get you very far because you're going to need different messaging. Going back to voice of client, you know, you're going to have to conduct more voice of client interviews. So the idea is pick one of those audiences and then you have $5 to spend to better understand that one audience. And so when you go out and you're pitching to your investors, hey, this is how we're going to continue to grow. You're going to know exactly what is my cost of acquiring that one type of audience? What are the channels I need to go to? What is the messaging? So when you niche down at the beginning, it's sort of like the proverbial go slow to go fast. You learn exactly what you need to do. And then you have the foundation for how you can accelerate and ramp up your business. Yeah. It never makes sense to try to be everything to everybody. Right. No. And, you know, so even like, you know, when your clients, I'm sure that they're talking about, oh, here's our, who our target audience is. Well, there's like, a, there's a, there's a broad definition, like a demographic definition of the target audience, but then there's also persona. Right. And yep. everything that you do, the more people you're trying to market to, the less effective you are going to be to the core. Right. And that's when you're talking about this, it's like, what's the core audience? Who are the people that are going to fall in love with this? Right. Mm -hmm. And how do we bring those people on as our early advocates? Right. Especially in a startup environment. Um, I have the. I have the, the similar background with being a, a fractional CMO for a, a lot of startup companies. And, uh, and I started my own company as well. And it's very easy to fall into kind of the, you know, the, oh, here's our tech, right? And here's, you know, as soon as anybody finds out about this, they're just going to fall in love with it. The floodgates are going to open, right? And we, it just doesn't work that way. Right? Certainly not today, it doesn't. No. No, no. And especially where there's so many choices. And there's so many decisions to be made, right? The, so, you know, what's interesting is that I think a lot of people were probably thinking about FOMO marketing in terms of like the actual marketing that we're creating for the customer. And what you're talking about is the fear of missing out is actually creating much more of a generic go-to-market strategy, right? That isn't going to be yep. as effective. It, it certainly can. And then, you know, it affects not only the go-to-market strategy, but on the back end, how you service those clients, because hypothetically, if, if you're niching down by geography, you know, what if you need a field team? Well, 
if you're saying, look, we're going to go to all of the U.S. or all of the world, that may mean that you have different languages that you need to hire customer service reps for, or you need to be working different hours and you need to have teams that cover different time zones. And so it's not just on the marketing side, but then how you fulfill on, on you know, whatever product or offering you have. And where, where that does tie back to marketing is that how do you then take that story to market <clears throat> to those different, in this case, geographies? Because as much as you want your marketing to bring you in the right people, you also wanted to help you not bring in the wrong or to not have you bring in the wrong people. Because if you bring in the wrong people, that usually ends up costing your business more and it dilutes your brand. And you may end up having worse brand perception because if you're, if someone who, if let's say a, an eight-year-old woman buys shoes for a 13-year-old boy, you know, it's, maybe it's a silly example, they're not going to like the shoes or vice versa. They're not going to like the shoes. And then they're going to talk poorly about the shoes and your brand. And then you've lost some brand equity and you're not helping your business and you're making things more challenging from a marketing perspective. So I get that that was a bit of a silly example, but it's like, Making sure that you focus on the right audience helps with marketing, but it also helps, you know, all the way through the funnel. And even when it's um, you're working on, you know, renewing a customer or reselling or having a good customer experience. Yeah, because, you know, what you're talking about, bringing the wrong people in, you know, there's been a lot that's been written about the death of the MQL, right? And right. there's plenty of B2B organizations now that don't even track MQLs right? because, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, an uh, entry with a name and an email address for a download does not mean that they're ready for a serious conversation. And what it can do is just flood the sales team with a bunch of wasted time. Then that that creates this tension that's already naturally there in the sales and kind of the marketing, the alignment that needs to happen. So it really, by going after everyone, you're almost guaranteed that you're going to be getting a ton of the leads that you do get aren't going to be good and they're going to waste time. They're going to be inefficient. And then that product market fit that you're talking about, it's going to be that much harder to attain. Your cost of acquisition for leads is going to be harder to attain. It's going to be harder to attain more money in the next round as well. Right. I think so, you said it well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really impacts the whole thing. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, this fear of missing out. There's, there's a mentality and it's one of the biggest things that in, in kind of this alignment between sales and marketing mm -hmm. that sales typically has a very short-term focus, right? And it's understandable, right? You got a quota over your head, right? And your, and, and your performance and your compensation is based on that, where a lot of salespeople can kind of look over marketing and go, you got your nice salaried position, <laughs> right? As long as we keep the wheel going here, you can play and you're like, we're on the feast and family, you know, here. Yep. So in terms of the alignment, right? And how do you work with and help support the sales effort, right? Because they should want more, not to try to sell to everybody, but they should want a focused message, focused enablement materials, focused case studies stories that they can tell, you know, that they can, they can uh -huh. use in the process. So how does that conversation work at the, you know, this fear of missing out, not only at the C-suite, but in other departments inside where you're in as a fractional CMO, right? Uh -huh. And leading that charge. Um, well, 
first and foremost, you know, I mentioned that a lot of my marketing approach is impacted by that first sales job I had at a startup. And so I, I love working closely with sales. And I think it's something that every CMO should do. There has been historically a lot of natural tension between the two. And, and I think where, where you're going with it is we tend to, or we've had in the past, conflicting incentives. So maybe what we're measuring or how successful marketing is measured is different than what successful sales, you know, what they're measuring in their KPIs. And, you know, you know, one small example um, that, that we had at a client was, you know, unbeknownst to us, the sales leader was beginning to measure the, um, the time to conversion between, you know, getting the lead and, and close. And then on the flip side, we were measuring like, okay, are we actually bringing in leads aligned to the right ICP? But the time to close was a lot shorter with the wrong ICP. So they're like, hey, we want more of these leads. These are wrong. And we're like, wait, this isn't like, we're not on the same page. And so it can happen to the best of us. But then it's a matter of, okay, let's everyone get together, the CEO, you know, the chief revenue officer, the CMO, and let's just make sure we're all rowing in the same direction. Because sometimes it's just as a matter of we didn't realize that if we're measuring this or we're incentivizing this KPI, it could be in conflict with what another function is doing. And this isn't just between sales and marketing, but but everywhere, right? But it does happen with sales and marketing. And so those conversations and whenever I start working with a client, I don't start with what do you want for marketing? Because in some ways, I think my role is to help them determine this is how marketing can best support you. I start with what are your business goals? Like, you know, we're coming up on a new year. Where is it that you want to leave? Um, where do you want to be at the end of 2024 that it will be successful? What are your revenue targets, your retention target, all of that? And then we can audit, you know, where are we today? What are the gaps? What's going to make the most impact on where we are today versus hitting those end of, in this case, end of 2024 goals? And so where FOMO of revenue comes in, it's to say, okay, if this is where you want to go, like, is it having five audiences? Is it having one? Like, we can kind of shape that conversation around the end state goal rather than just trying to talk about, oh, no, you got to narrow down your audiences or just or just approaching it from the marketing lens. Because ultimately, marketing should be playing well in the sandbox with multiple functions across the company. And so making sure that whatever we're doing aligned to the business goals, that's the most important thing. We shouldn't be aligned to just what are these marketing goals? They should they should roll up to the the corporate goals. Well, that means everybody has the same plan, right? <laughs> You're aligning to the same. Easier said than done. It happens a lot less than you would like to think. <laughs> I, I know, I do. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of what marketing's function is um, is the development of content, content that goes into the demand gen campaigns, content yep. that goes into sales enablement content that's on a thought leadership basis that establishes you as a, as a trusted advisor, as an expert in the industry. I'm going to ask you a question. I like asking this cold. And okay. that is for the clients that you've served in terms of like, just on a scale of one to 10, where one's not important at all, 10 is vital to the overall growth and success of the company. How would you rate content on that scale and why? Yeah. Um, well, Tying back to some of the things I already said, you know, breaking through the clutter, it's a noisy place out there. 
And great content is a great way to break through that clutter. So I, I would say I would rank it like an eight, nine or 10, you know, something very high on the scale of important with the asterisk or the caveat of the right content is that critical. Because what, you know, I think we're going to see in more and more um, of this happening with, you know, chat GPT and AI and the ability to like mass produce content, you know, these tools that can do that. That to me, that is just noise. That that content that's just there for the sake of being content, I put that on like the zero side of the scale. Content that's relevant, that's timely, that resonates with your audience, that is a that ranks a 10. So um making sure that you're not just producing content to check a box and say, oh, I put out 500 blogs this year. Well, great, but if no one's reading them and they're not necessarily aligned to your SEO or they're not impacting your business, then like content isn't that helpful. But if even you have some really great content, it could be only two or three pieces, but it's it's driving leads. It's getting the right people in the door. It's helping educate your audience, driving your brand awareness. That I can fully support and would back up as a 10 on the scale. Yeah, you know, um, I stole this out of a Forbes, uh, you know, uh, article. And it talked about how content marketing solves problems, but thought leadership actually sparks conversations. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And, you know, in this day and age where the the B2B buyer is going to much more of a self-serve buying process, they're researching more than ever before they ever want to talk to anybody inside the organization, right? Yeah. So what our goal as marketers is then to get further and further up into the buyer's journey, earlier in the buyer's journey. We're not going to do that with low quality content. We're not okay. going to do that with, you know, typical product marketing content, which is very important, but in terms of sparking a conversation, we're going to have to help. We're going to have to educate. We're going to have to play that role as a trusted advisor, right? That means there's much, much more emphasis on content and on really high quality or thought leadership content. So- and I'd love to really quickly jump in with an example of, of great content that, that just happened. So um, recently released on Netflix is the show called House of Usher. And in one of the episodes, one of the characters makes a comment around about the brand edible arrangements. If anyone listening doesn't know about them, you can probably like find ads in the back of your airline magazine. They're, you know, bouquets of pineapple and food and things like this that one may spend to a, a client or a B2B, um, someone in a B2B setting. And so the, the character comments about how, you know, she's like, you only send edible arrangements to people you hate. And, and great content was edible arrangements. Jumping on that, they actually sent an edible arrangement to the actress who plays the character in this particular scene. And it has a note around, you know, presumably like a sarcasm kind of intended, like, wow, we love you so much. We wanted to send you an edible arrangement, sort of playing off like a cheeky way of like, obviously they don't hate her, but like playing into that love hate of the edible arrangement. And I think like that probably didn't come up on a marketing plan, but that is great content. And, you know, potentially, you know, like sparking that conversation or resonating with the audience or letting people know what that brand is and getting it into the zeitgeist of the conversation. So whenever I see really interesting ways that brands have, have 
brought themselves back and, you know, and got into the conversation I like to share. And that just happened here in, you know, the last few days or so. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting conversation, right? It kind of, they turned the tables a bit and, and totally. made it a positive. I love that. So let me ask a, a, a last question here, because we could go on for a long time and we've talked about a lot already, but if there was a, a takeaway, if there was a single thought that you wanted to leave the audience with here from the conversation today, what would that be? Um. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow a quote if that's okay. You borrowed one from Forbes, so I I'll, borrowed I'll, one. I stole it. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah. Um, no. You know, so Bill Gates um, and other people have said something akin to this, but people overestimate, you know, what they can do in one year, and they underestimate what they can do in ten years. And you know, as we've said, I I focus on startup companies, and I think that this this particular quote makes so much sense with startups because. In with going back to the FOMO of revenue and making sure you understand your um, your clients and doing voice of client interviews, you know, you overestimate how many audiences you can go after in, in one plan, you know, in, in one time period. And I think there's such power in niching down because if you understand that and you really focus, maybe you understand that audience and you can go after another in that same year in this case, but like focus at niching down is going to help you do a lot more in the long run. Um, and so that would be my one takeaway, which is don't think of it as, oh, I'm missing out and I'm not going to have as much revenue. If you focus on understanding your audience and getting that revenue and, and understanding them so deeply that you have all the metrics and the um, understanding of how to acquire more customers, it will actually allow you to accelerate your business a lot faster. Makes perfect sense. Thank you uh, for sharing everything that you have today. If there were people that had follow-on conversation questions for you, would it be appropriate to send them a link maybe to your profile on LinkedIn? Absolutely. And um, I would say that I post content every week, you know, different marketing tips and tricks and, and you know, thoughts on, on the B2B tech marketing space, both on LinkedIn and on YouTube. So if people want to find me in either place, they're more than welcome. Well, fantastic. Well, again, thank you, Amanda, for coming on and sharing. And I love the idea, just the thought of a different framework for thinking about FOMO in marketing, right? And it's the fear of missing out and therefore not getting actually what you're looking for to begin with. So I love that. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity, Steve. It was a good chat.